Welcome back to the Women Who Roar podcast. I'm mixing it up today because I am interviewing a man with a really interesting history of toxic relationships. So today I'm interviewing Nelson Cepeda, and he is one half of the duo of Nelson and Tiffany Cepeda. I interviewed Tiffany earlier in this library. They are the founders and creators behind the Power of the Peak collection. So they have a very powerful story, and they have set out on a mission to impact others by connecting their stories with those around the world. And they believe that it is important to be seen and heard. And they are working on creating a space where growth and healing on all fronts of life are attainable and tangibly applicable. So they, in order to accomplish that, have designed a powerful series of books and resources that will come out sequentially. Tiffany Cepeda is well-versed in psychology and passionate about helping people develop practical tools to create a successful self-image. And Nelson is really interesting. He has a background in criminology, but ended up in several abusive relationships. As visionaries and entrepreneurs, their heart is to give back and bring hope to others. They've worked in many different fields, including real estate, PR, marketing, and international missions. A Tiffany's love for sharing her story and writing has driven her to write the book Power of the Pain, which is going to be linked below. She also currently empowers mentors, those in business, and those striving to come up with a plan for success. They also love spending time with their boys two of whom are twins. So I'm really excited for you to hear this interview. We're going to talk about the role gender plays in abuse. We are going to talk about how somebody with a background of criminal psychology was able to get snowed not once, but twice and end up in a toxic relationship. And of course, how to heal. So dive in. I think you're going to love it. Yay. All right. Well, I am super excited to have this interview with the Cepedas. I'm really excited because there's a couple unique things. One is, Nelson, you are a male. And so we spend a lot of time on my channels talking about how abusive relationships impact females, but I'm really excited to hear it from a male's perspective. And you have a criminal psych background. You actually have a lot of really interesting background as far as law enforcement, for lack of a better term, goes. And so it's so interesting to me. I'm really looking forward to hearing the story of how somebody with your background ended up in a relationship where I'm sure there was a lot of deceit. So without further ado, give us a little bit of background on, I'd like to hear about your experience with kind of law and order where you can share just so reader, I mean, listeners have a little bit of a context and also your history of toxic relationships. Wow, that, that's a long topic. I hope everybody... Take the time you need. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in terms of my history in the criminal psychology, I, I kind of, I grew up in New York, and so I saw a lot in the city in Manhattan, and I was a only boy in the family. I'll tell you a little background on that. Why? Because it'll kind of lead up to why I want to even get into a criminal psychology. Yeah. Why I wanted to go after that. I was around it a lot, a lot of crime. Mm-hmm. So the toxic relationships that I kind of like first noticed was really at home, which is so sad to say. I say that because all of us, no matter who you are, there's a lot of things you learn when you're a child that you don't know you're going to be practicing when you're an adult, good, bad, and indifferent. And that happened to me, just like anybody else. And some things would actually be more attractive than others. And criminal psychology is really something that I was drawn to because it was really the other side of something that, yes, there's a problem there, but to the criminal it's an addiction to something they perceive to be positive, hence triggering the positive notions within their mind that makes it addictive. And I was like, wow, that, there's a twist because I always know when something's bad, but a lot of the criminals, they're doing it because it gives them a high 
it releases dopamine, it makes them addictive to it. And even though it's bad, they, they disregard it. It disguises it as something good because they feel good, even though they're doing something bad to another, uh, whether it's a narcissist, whether it's a violent crime. There's so many sectors within the criminal psychology background that it can identify where it's coming from. So for me, it kind of turned me on on that. But, you know, talk about relationships. It's, it's very difficult for me as a male to say that I was looking to see red signs or what the good stuff was or the bad stuff is because... If there's anything that I remember learning is never to look at somebody in an analytical way. Mm. You know, don't don't try to, if the person becomes a job, then the person probably shouldn't be in a relationship with you. So I try to be very fair on, on turning off that switch, so to speak, on going into it open-minded and very open-hearted, which sometimes, yes, the heart can be deceiving. And as a male, you never really think that you can be in a relationship that's going to be toxic that's going to be detrimental to you because yeah, we're supposedly more physical, strong, all that stuff. So men really miss the red flags. And the only way that we can extinguish those flags are physical, whether beating the woman or doing whatever they have to do or beating an individual that's making them feel inferior or, or defeated. So for me, there's a lot of things that kind of like made me want to go after their criminal background to find out, wow, you know what? I wonder what triggers the people to think that that particular action is positive in nature when it's clearly negative. So hopefully that answers some of that, but there's a lot more to that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have so many follow-up questions about that I'm really excited to get into. I do want to start a little bit with your personal story though. So you, you have alluded to that you were in a relationship that was toxic. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, again, it does stem from my childhood. I have to add that. Why? Because I have three sisters that are older. I'm the youngest of four. And I had a very toxic relationship with my sisters, even so much of the programs that I would watch on TV. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to fight for certain things. Back in the day, I used to watch a show called Star Trek, and Star Trek was mm -hmm. a show, but my sisters wanted to watch all my children, so they would challenge me mm -hmm. and even try to like purposely get me in trouble. So it became addictive in nature for me to be attracted to a challenge, which brought me to the relationships of days of old, which mm -hmm. I didn't know that until I went and got those things addressed. One of the toxic relationships that I had, I didn't even know it was toxic. Nobody gets into a relationship because right. toxic. That's something that you discover in time. And then you kind of say, oh man, I messed up, but you try to deal with it. You know why? Because nobody wants to accept failure or accept they're in a toxic relationship. And it comes out subtly. It comes out slowly. It more so comes out when you start to change your identity. That's mm -hmm. the worst thing that anyone can do in a relationship. A relationship should be to secure and enhance your identity, not to take away from, but to give to and to lift up. And as a, as a man, men don't really ever feel like nothing can take away from them because of how we're built. As opposed to a woman, a woman is looking for more of an emotional connection where most men are looking for physical. So physical can disguise the emotional trauma that's happening without you even knowing it and vice versa. Women, if they feel emotionally connected, they will accept physical trauma. It's just the nature of what happens, just how we're built. I was in a toxic relationship, not in the beginning, but as it went on, I started to see that I was changing. I was changing who I was and what I would accept as me, the character, me, Nelson. You know, what's my character that's, that's different? When you start feeling that you're no longer free to be you, you should pay attention to that. You should really pay attention to that. Despite if you have children, because when you have children, then now you have other dynamics that are involved. You have other things that you have to consider that in a weird way make you deny yourself even more for the benefit of another. But that in itself 
is actually contributing to how the toxic relationship is starting. You are taken away from who you want to be for the benefit of someone else to be who they want to be. Mm -hmm. And give them a yard, they take 100 feet. Take, give them an inch, they take a foot, and they will continue to do that. Narcissism is, is another topic that I can tell you about. Why? Because now that I know that, narcissism is on both areas. It's nothing more than the person wanting to be the center of attention no matter what. You know, they, they have an attraction to that. They want to make sure that they're, they're, they're very charismatic. They are, they are the life of the party, that kind of thing. Now, every single person does have some form of narcissism, but it could be good or it could be bad. You really don't know what happens to that until like for me, to give you an example of my first relationship, which I was in for a long time, it didn't come out till after the children. And I found myself like, wow, you know, I am no longer, I don't want to say an authority, but I'm, I'm no longer contributing to the benefit of the family. And I'm definitely not contributing to the well-being of myself. And whenever I want to speak or I want to say something, I have to always refrain from being me. And if I do say something, now I'm finding out that what I used to say that was accepted now is a problem and I've got an issue. And you start to think these things like, man, I have an issue. I have a problem. And you guess who you are. Uh, that in itself is creating a different character and belief system in you that you're like, wow, which could be reflective of something that's come from your childhood that makes it feel normal or familiar when it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. uh, so my first relationship was more like that, more an emotional type of toxic relationship that I really didn't see in the term of verbal saying, oh, you're not, you're worthless. You're not what I thought you were. And then you start doubting yourself. But those are things I used to hear from my sister. Oh, you know what? This and this. So it's familiar. So it releases the same things that kind of like are, are common. And nobody wants to be out of their comfort zone. Everybody wants to be in a comfortable position. My second relationship, completely toxic. I chased the culture. I'm Spanish. Mm -hmm. and she spoke Spanish. So I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is going to be great. We speak Spanish. Oh, much in common. We eat the same rice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, it, it's, it was kind of crazy in that, but red flags started showing up later. And, and again, nobody gets married to get divorced one time. Definitely nobody gets married the second time to the nobody. So again, you find yourself, how can I make the adjustments to make sure that this doesn't become like my first one? And is it really me? Because how can two people actually have a problem with me? Maybe it is. So you start having the self-doubt and your and your programming comes back into saying that, man, maybe I am the problem. Now you would think somebody that has my background would be like, hey, but you should have picked up that red flag. And you, why did you stay in there? No, because if you go into a relationship looking for red flags, you probably don't need to be in that relationship in the first place. Nobody should go into a relationship with red flag. You should be aware of what's happening, things that move you and things that you won't accept. But a lot of times, unfortunately, in toxic relationships, they will tell you what you want to hear so that once they have you, it becomes something different, especially when a ring is on a finger and kids are in the equation because you have a lot more to lose. And most people put up with a lot more things than they would if they have children involved. At least I did. So it, it just it became physical. It became verbal. And yeah, of course, as, as, a, as a man... You already kind of know and not taking away that you can hurt a woman more than a, a woman can hurt a man in the typical scenario. But you never want to have to be in a position that you're defending yourself, but that in itself is touching a woman and it gets kind of toxic. Once you lose that kind of respect for yourself and respect for each other, you need to address it. And if you can't address it and it's getting worse, you got to do something. And in my case, I, I left. So that long-winded answer to say, it's kind of weird how it kind of increases into toxicity. It never starts that way. It just starts to become that way. 
Well, I think you you bring up you brought up two really good points that I want to pause on for a minute because I the purpose for me is to really educate people through other people's stories so you can recognize some patterns are playing out in your life. And the first thing you said was nobody gets into a relationship thinking it's going to be a toxic relationship. And I would say toxic relationships at the beginning often are some of the best relationships. It seems too good to be true. Everything's going right. There's this crazy connection. And then things come out, the toxic behaviors escalate as the relationship gets more serious. So I think that's because people who have abusive tendencies, whether they mean to be an abuser or not, I think most people don't mean to be, they it's about possession for them. Relationship is about possessing another person. When you're in the early stages of relationship, you've got to be on your best behavior to draw that person to a place where you can possess them. But when you're engaged, when you're married, when you have kids, you possess that person. And so then the behavior, I mean, you shouldn't, right? I don't think we should really ever think that we possess another human. But that, I think, is the mindset going on in abusive relationship. And so the abusive behaviors start to come out. So I guess I, I want to ask you, what in, initially attracted you to these women? Because having gone through an emotionally abusive relationship, I do use the flag system, you know, where I'm looking for Maybe this is a yellow flag, something that seems like it could be concerning to me, but maybe it's coming from my issues. An orange flag is, this seems like it may be concerning to me, probably not coming from my issues, but it, there, you know, there we can leave room in the relationship to see how it progresses. And then maybe we talk about this and see where they're coming from. Red flag has been there, done that. And then there's green flags, which is like, this is a really good sign. This is a healthy sign, which... I don't, I don't know if that's something you would consider as overly analytical in approaching relationships, but I'm curious, what was your draw to these women at first? Well, it's always, it's always the check marks. You know, unfortunately, as humans, we first check out the outside before we know the inside. Of course, we have to be physically attracted. We have to have some common ground, and then we ask the questions, and we start to talk, and all that good stuff. But for me, it was, yes not so much flags the check system for a man is very different than than a woman even though there's still check systems and and you do it on dating but you're right you know in the beginning everybody's on their best behavior and so you really don't know if that flag is a true color that you think it is because the power of perception and the power of perception is almost like a something like you study one thing that i i, I really admire you you study stealth infection uh, doesn't mean the infection isn't there it just means that it hides itself from the immune system even though you'll say you've got it in you yeah. So the same thing, a toxic relationship is almost like that, that stealth infection that it, you don't even know that it's there and it comes out later. It might give you signs of what's going on, but in the beginning you feel good. It, it smells good. It looks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It walks like, you're like, wow, it's a duck. And you find out, my goodness, it was a duck suit. I didn't know, you know, it's a, it's a geese, you know, whatever. But my point is that those things are never really rest in the beginning because you don't want to it's sad to to have to say that because you're correct we're on our best behavior when we're first learning one another man and woman but it's sad that you have to be and no i'm not trying to say that you're supposed to be in your bad behavior but you know but th that's not that's not a raw relationship because if you take that word raw it's r-a-w the reverse of that is war so how raw is it going to be? Is it going to turn into a, a war or are you going to be very transparent, good, bad, and indifferent? I actually don't mind a relationship that I see some bad stuff in the beginning. Why? Because if I can work it out then in the beginning when it's supposed to be the butterflies and all that good stuff, well, that's kind of conducive of how it's going to be when I'm in the relationship. I don't want to find out the red flags when I'm in the relationship or I am married or I do have children because yes, now I have a lot more to lose. 
I have a lot more things that I have to consider before I stand up on my own two feet. Now I have to consider to sit down and take the things that are going to change my identity, which is when it becomes even more toxic because that subliminally and subconsciously to a toxic person, narcissist or not, is when they feel they got you. They've got you. Now they got more leverage against you. They're going to put you in your spot and you're going to feel lesser than who you are and you will do lesser of the things that you would have done if in fact you wouldn't have lost a marriage, you wouldn't have gone through a divorce, you wouldn't have left your kids behind, that kind of stuff. So I try not to. I, I try not to. And in my present relationship, I I didn't. I didn't. Well, I'll, I'll say it as raw as it is. I wasn't looking for a woman. <laughs> I didn't want a relationship. I, I, I didn't. But in that vulnerability of being true to me, I found a true relationship. And, and we're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. But in that, we were able to find from, just like what you were saying, Chelsea, we, we learned from what we had. We saw the things we won't accept, but it also just kind of like thickens your skin to know what you will not tolerate. These are the lines that cannot be drawn, that I'm drawing, that cannot be passed because if they are, then I'm out of here. It doesn't matter if they look yellow, it look red, it look green. I'm done. Why? Because when I thought it was green, it turned out to be a, a thorn on my side, you know? So it's, it's just. You've got to be real to you for you to have something real. And if you can't allow yourself to be real in the beginning and that person allow you to be real and love the real you, then what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I would call anybody that. What are you doing? You're, you're, you have a mask on to the satisfaction of others. Even if you don't even feel like the date is going well, why not say, hey, this day is not going well. What? Why not? Why not say it how it really is? Because if you start with the little things in the beginning, it ends up big in the end. Yeah. Well, totally true. I totally agree with that. So it sounds like you didn't see a lot of red flags at first with these women. So what was it like kind of progressing in relationship with them? Did it catch you off guard that things were kind of popping up as toxic? And then what was it like having it progress to a point where you realized, I need to leave? You, you know, I, I kind of, I'll, I'll go back to that. I did see red flags, but they were never towards me. Hmm. That was my first issue, especially in my second relationship. I saw it towards others, but... I think everybody, when you're starting to fall in love and you get the butterflies, you go, wow, you know, I never see that side. I got the best side. Which is a red flag, though. I mean, which, which I was going to say, that's a red flag. Yeah. Right. That should be a yeah. red flag. But in, 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 your, in your journey of finding love and your journey of discovering one another, you almost have that, that wishful, hopeful thinking that you are the different one. You are the one that means yeah. that. And that happens for men and women. Unfortunately, it happens more for a woman because, again, women are more emotionally connected in that area. For men, we try to store these away in our little closets and act like it's not there, but eventually the closet becomes messy and we got to try to organize something and sometimes we do it in the wrong way. Me, myself, when I started seeing that, I was like, wow, what, what do I do? So I try to stand up as a man, not being disrespectful, but then because you're standing out, in my last relationship, I was called basically feminine stuff, the, the B word. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, I'm not. Why would you call me that? So... It, it, it's it's sad that red flags sometimes aren't seen and sometimes they're seen and kind of confused. We're like, well, it's not as bad as it was or as bad as I've seen others. So it's got to be better for me. This has got to be true love. Um, but again, that goes with, do you know yourself for real? Do you really love yourself? And I have found that there's a lot of things I didn't know about myself that did attract that kind of relationship through counseling, through counseling. And I have no shame in saying it. I'm glad I was asked the hard questions uh, and the ones that I didn't want to process and the ones that I didn't want to cry about and the ones I didn't want to pray to God. And uh, I'm not preaching religion, but God's the only reason why I'm sitting here. 
So I, I will definitely tell you that in that journey of, of submitting to the good, bad, and different within myself, help me to identify the good, bad, and different outside. Well, you mentioned earlier, and I thought this was a really interesting point, that a lot of times toxic behaviors are actually familiar to us. And I would take that a step further and say, I think a lot of times we're not healthy before we've done that processing like you're talking about. Toxic relationship or behaviors actually that are familiar increase the attraction because it creates this weird mindset that, ah, uh, where someone who behaved like this didn't love me in the past, I can get this person, I can manipulate this person who treats me like that now into loving me in the present. And we think that we think that this relationship is going to be what heals the old familiar relationship. And really, it's just repeating cycles. So you had some repeating cycles, I think it sounds like. So what, how do you get to the point when, it, when they first started showing up, did you recognize that it was something that was, was going to lead to the end of your relationship? And what led you to get to the point of realizing these relationships have to end? Self-worth. And as, as simple as I could put it, it's just self-worth. When, when is enough enough? Do I, do I have to become so physically involved that it puts me detrimental to having the freedom, literally, you know, being, being a man, do I have to, why should I even consider something like that? to to keep the relationship and if i have to do that is this relationship worth keeping absolutely not man or woman you shouldn't have to be there and yes to add to what you were saying dead on one of the things i discovered in that journey of discovering wow i just went through two marriages and and i didn't succeed you start doubting yourself maybe it is you and it's not them but it's exactly what you're saying the familiar so again, going back to the flags, you sometimes don't know they're red flags because it's the comfort zone that you're used to when you were in your childhood. So it's very familiar territory and that that person is actually kissing you and loving you differently than what your sibling or your parents used to do to you. You said better than what you thought it like, oh, they were trying to do this, but they did it. It's almost like you problem solve in a very different, different answer to the problem. And if you live in, in a state of always in your amygdala, which is the fight or flight mode, and something triggers that again, and the dopamine is released, which is the, the chemical that makes us addicted to even the likes in our social media and everything else, mm -hmm. then when you find a relationship that releases that, that's the disguise. That's what actually makes you feel like you're in your comfort zone, even though it's going to become more toxic. But because you're releasing good and bad dopamine, because you're in your amygdala, you're thinking, man, this is going to be great. This is awesome. This relationship is amazing. Until later, when you're trying to be the fire is, is extinguished, so to speak. You're living real life and you're supposed to be more in your frontal lobe because now certain problems come and you're finding solutions in there. And you're finding out like, wow, this is a fire that's very different than the fire I thought of a, a good light at the end of the tunnel. It is an oncoming train. It is going to hurt me and, and it is hurting me. So now what? Yeah, definitely. I, I can agree with that. I, I walked into something that was familiar not knowing that it was familiar, that it shouldn't have been accepted just because it was familiar. I accepted it because, hey, I'm a man. It's a woman. She's not going to hurt me. I just met her. She told me she loves me. Are you yeah. kidding? I got it. Another red flag. I just met her. She told me she loves me. <laughs> but we, well, the reason we know that is because we've all been known by that. If we look at the beginning and end of things, though, you know, you would think that someone, I think like as an outsider, you think, oh, somebody with a criminal psychology background, they couldn't be tricked by anyone. So do you feel like it's kind of low worth the familiarity that caused you to miss the red flags in the beginning or was it something else? And then at the end, was it a like healthier sense of worth and value that gave you the strength to leave or was that catalyzed by something else? 
You know, that's that's a long-winded answer. I'll tell you why. Because, again, there's only five sectors in, in criminal psychology, and most of them are violent in nature or or trying to be a one-upping. And as as a man, you, I, at least for me, I didn't look for a crime to be done. I'm not looking. I, I'm not looking. I would not turn on my interview mode or criminal if I'm looking at the person is not even close to a criminal. You have to bring that out on a date. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought your date personality is good. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to do that. That, that in itself can skip me full off. Like, oh my goodness, this guy's analyzing me, and and not that. Not that I don't see some things, but you don't you don't really want to leave with like, hey, I'm a criminal psychologist, so Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's kinda of like it, it's difficult. But I think for me, I just never want to bring work to the table. I just never want to do that. Even now, I mean, my present job, I uh, I'm in sales and, and I find myself sometimes when I'm asking questions or I'm being asked questions, I feel like I'm in a sales arena and I'm like, Okay, I don't I don't wanna I want to switch that off. I don't want to. Because even in a relationship, everything everything really has some type of sales aspect. You know, you got to sell the person on what you are, what the table, what they bring to the table. And then you sell yourself on actually each other. Man, we're going to be a good match. We're, we're, we're in it to win it. We're going to be very successful in this relationship. And then later you find out the buyer's remorse syndrome. You know, like, oh my goodness, what am I doing in this relationship? For me, as I had children and I went on in my years in the relationship, more stuff came out. And I believe it's because there was more leverage knowing my commitment to to the goal, having a family. I mean, everybody gets married to have kids, hopefully, and they have a family and they want to grow old and watch them and have grandkids and so on and so forth. That's that's the dream in the marriage thing, right? Well, who wants to give that up, especially when it's about to happen? So I think that for the person that, that starts to infect the relationship, man or woman, it's because they feel like, ah, oh, you know what? Now I really have them. There's too much to go anywhere. There's too much time vested. They're not going to go. And they take you for granted. And then you yourself start taking yourself for granted. That's that's the problem here. When you start changing your character and take yourself for granted that you no longer want to step up to the plate to stand up for yourself for the benefit of another. And that's that in itself is your own toxic nature inside. Some people do that. I did it. I did it because I'm a man. I should be able to put up with anything. I should. And I do have a criminal psychology background. I'm good. Nobody's trying to fight me. And if they are going to fight me, I'm going to destroy him. But <laughs> so it, it's it's just weird to to think that if nothing like that comes to you, you think everything's okay. When in reality, you're you're depressed. You, you don't feel happy. So, so what flipped the script for you? What made you feel like it's in the now is the time to go? When I when my children saw it, when my children saw it, that was it. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm not. It's my job as a father and as a man and as a leader of the tribe, so to speak, to show my, my, my sheep being the shepherd of my people, how to lead, you know, and this is not something that I want them to be led into. And I don't want them to think this is acceptable. Every, every parent, mom and dad want the kids to have a mom and dad, their real biological mom and dad, you know, nobody really wants to be in a blender, like, oh, you know, and meet so-and-so, call her mom or meet so-and-so, call him dad. But for me, it was like, that's it. I, I've had law enforcement involved. I had to tell them what I did in the past. They're kind of looking at me like, then why are you in this relationship? And okay, you know, the next call, someone can go to jail. And I'm like, okay, that liberty is, this person is not worth me losing everything to include the ability to be a father. Forget being a husband again, to be a father, to be a father to my children that I brought into this world, that God gave me the the humble 
responsibility to raise his souls in this world that's already toxic in, in many facets for me to show them the example of that's okay is not okay. And I can't do that. So it was hard. It was hard. I, I, I mean, my second relationship, I was literally in my car, uh, living out of my car for almost a week, going to work at 7-Eleven, brushing my teeth and, and changing. Oh, this shirt's too wrinkled. So, you know, let me go to the college and take a shower. So the wrinkles come out of the shirt. I'll turn this one on again. It, it was It was different. But you know what? I'm not saying I'm better or worse than anybody. It's just you have to you have to respect yourself and love yourself to the degree that you can love another because if if you if you don't love yourself, then how can you really love somebody else? It just really how do you know the good and bad that you're gonna take if you don't know the good and bad that you will accept? Well, that's really powerful because you know, a lot of people don't get to the point of I me. Mean, I think Tiffany and I, a lot of our mission is to help people get to the point of loving themselves enough to step out of those. But for some people, that doesn't happen. But their children, she gives them the pain point that they need to love themselves enough to get out of toxic relationships. It, so it's interesting to me because you have like, you've got a macho background. You were in law enforcement, you were in the military, you were in criminal sight. And so you're just, you're not the stereotypical candidate of when people say, you know, a victim of an abusive relationship. You're not what comes to mind, which is why I want to talk to you. So do you think the gender plays a role at all in abusive dynamics? If so, what does it play? But then also, if you're going to amplify the voice of other men going through this situation, you know, what what does that sound like? Well, you know, to, to piggyback off of what you said, Chelsea, you know, yeah, maybe my background and where I've grown up and everything sounds macho, but what is macho? You know, I, I grow up with have to. You're the only son in the family, you know, and we <laughs> have testicles, you know what I mean? But the, the, the fact is, it's like, what's that mean? What does that mean? Am I a better person than the person next to me? No. You know, I, I'm only, you're always as strong as your weakest link, period. I don't care who you are. If, if you get into a relationship, man or woman, you should look for somebody who's going to make you strong when you're weak and vice versa. No one should be one-upping. When you get married, you get married side by side. One doesn't get in front of you. The other one doesn't get in back. So that means your partner's in that. When you feel that you have a partner that's not lifting you, you you've got to come to, to look in the mirror, you know? Look in the mirror. Don't point the fingers. Just look in the mirror and see where you are at. That has nothing to do, in my opinion, with machoism. Maybe I think for me, seeing some toxic relationships through my sister's, put me a little bit, and some of my cousins say, and I have no problem staying on, on this podcast here. Some men say to me, man, but it's like you're 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 like a wuss, man. Why would you, well, define wuss. If my being a wuss because I am not accepting something for the benefit of my child, am I being a wuss because I no longer will be in this relationship, even though I can't take the blows verbally and physically, am I a wuss or am I standing up for something that I know is incorrect period, in human nature, man or woman. And to me, I find a strength in what we're doing here. And this is this is a platform to be weak, but in that weakness, there's a strength. And if you find that, there's a freedom to that. There's a freedom to finding that vulnerability that really is a strength. More people are, are ashamed of talking about their past and seeing what might come up and what other people might say because of what they'll think. It's a sad place to be, if you have to worry so much of what people will think, as opposed to what you think about yourself and what you're doing in a positive nature, if you're doing something negative, absolutely, by all means, 
So if I stayed in that relationship, that's negative in nature. And machoism, that in itself already has, just like your, if you, you understand saying machoism, that kind of says in, a, in the back, like, man, you should have been the guy that was kind of like tough and slapping. And it sounds like it, it's crazy, but we stereotype if you were macho and you grew up like that, that's kind of like what defines machoism, the, you know, I am the man. And it's it's not really that. Hey, listen, I could, I could protect myself, my family and all that stuff, but I have to protect myself to be able to know how to protect my family. If that means that I need to step down to make sure that I show that it's okay to have a mistake. It's okay to quote unquote fail. It's okay. As long as you know that you don't need to stand down and you don't need to accept that your character, your person will change. The quality of a person is really depicted on the positive or negative nature that they have. And that's it. That's all you have to, that's all you have to leave. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not anything materialistic. It is your human emotional connection and reaction to that person when they say, man, you know, I met this person, they're pretty cool. Well, I think, you know, you did something, you did the thing that was actually strong. And I think this is maybe one area where gender does play a little bit of a role, because I think the expectation for a man to who is receiving a lot of disrespect or physical abuse in your case from a woman is he just overpowers her and he beats her back or he cheats on her or disconnects through watching porn all the time. You know, there's all these ways that men are expected to be stronger, but you set appropriate boundaries and you stepped out of the situation without, you know, purposefully inflicting hurt on another human being. And I, I think that is the strong thing to do, but it just doesn't line up with cultural definition of what males should do. And I mean, going off of that, I before we pressed record, you were talking to me about how it's difficult for men to talk about this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's difficult for anyone to talk about this kind of stuff. But I feel like men maybe have to overcome some more societal expectations to talk about this stuff from women. Women are generally thought to be the more vulnerable or the more weaker in a relationship. So, I mean, what are some things that you think are obstacles to to men opening up about these type of relationship dynamics the biggest thing i can tell you is even for myself is their ego their pride mm-hmm. it's very difficult for a man to open up to show a vulnerable side because it automatically defines weakness and no man wants to be weak you know we we like to go in the gym and see if we can outlift the guy next door and look at the man and, and that's just it you know for me when i saw myself and, and i'll tell you when i saw myself getting to the physical aspect of it i'm like I know without a question of a doubt what I can do to a female. I'm not, that. that's not it. I had to go there. I've got to get out of it because it's going to destroy me. As much as I can destroy that person, it's going to destroy my liberty, my ability to be a father, my ability to, to be a role model. It's going to destroy everything that I have a dream about. And more importantly for me, it really, what convicted me was what is God going to think about me if I just, destroy what he gave to me to have the child because at the end of the day the thing that really bothers me is how can a person man or woman after they go through a divorce can go ahead and identify that person as being either a profane word definition of what they are now when was a time that they told them i love you i'm in love with you will you marry me yes i do till death do his part there was a time that that wasn't even there for me i would just say look you know the hardest thing to do it is is to change your character. So before you change your character, change your circumstance 
And if you can't change the circumstance, reach out, reach out to platforms like yourself, read something, look for, look for the help. There's nothing wrong with looking for help. I guess that's my message to men. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. There is Amen. <laughs> so good. Nothing wrong with it. And there's nothing wrong with, with shedding a tear. There's nothing wrong with feeling weak. It, it's, there's, there's, there's a freedom to it, not because you have to live in it, but because you shouldn't have to be in it. There's a, yeah, that, that, that would be my thing. If you're a guy, listen, and you're listening, you're like, yeah, you're a putz. Oh, okay, I'm a putz. <laughs> well, I think a, a guy who would judge you as a putz probably isn't going to be buying my book and listening to these videos. <laughs> I said, you're probably safe. Well, thank you for being a man who, who, pay, you know, paving the way and setting an example in that. I did have one more topic I wanted to discuss with you, and it's a little bit less personal, a little bit more clinical, but you mentioned earlier in your interview how criminals, but I, I think we can apply it a little bit to people who are acting in abusive ways in relationships or narcissists, the, when they're doing something harmful, let's say, you know, your wife hitting you or swearing at you, in their brain, there's actually a reward for that. There's some type of positive reinforcement. So as far as it applies to romantic relationships, what is going on in the perpetrator's brain that makes them feel like that's a good thing? And then what is going on in the or the receiving party's brain that makes them feel like the relationship is still rewarding? Denial. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's an easy answer. And, and I'll tell you why, because... For a man, the man's ultimate satisfaction in a relationship is is nine times out of ten is sexual satisfaction. Yeah, totally. And men want that sexual satisfaction. We even mount the woman, so to speak, as crazy as that sounds. So we're already dominant. If if we for for the satisfaction of someone who's criminal in nature acts of that, it releases something of dominance. It releases something of being accepted. And sometimes a woman knows, women know more than men. A woman can go out in a weekend with a friend and say, today, I am going to accept four men to be intimate with. And I guarantee you there'll be four men that'll be intimate with them because men are so quick to jump to that. A man can go out and get dressed up and looking great and everything and say, man, I hope I get at least one. And they might and they might not. It's just the way. So sometimes women, when they actually know that they have that kind of power, it's a power trip. No different than a CEO woman that's in, in a job that she knows she's a CEO and she's got men. There are women that get addicted to that. But that's from their childhood. That comes out from childhood. If when you in criminology, in criminology, it's 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 a different psychology because the dopamine that's released is something that kind of keeps them happy, even though they're doing something bad. You know, for a woman that has a, a, a different ulterior motive when she's sleeping with the guys, then that's right. You do like me. You do want me. Mm -hmm. oh, for the other side, the receiver, man, you know, it's really not as bad as it is. Look, she's she's giving it to me. She's giving it to me. For men, it's trophy type. And for a woman, it's victory type. It's very different, even though it sounds the same. It's not. So I would just tell you, a, a criminalist, they, they want to go through something that's kind of like familiar in nature that they used to be triggered on back in the back. If they do that and it continues to release that hormone, dopamine being a big one, that men that high, they have to go get it to quick fix. No different than being addicted to, let's say, meth or something. It is a drug. It's addictive in nature. And they need that release. They need to find their next victim. And it's always a victim that's weaker. It can't be someone that's stronger, that they perceive to be weaker. 
That's that's the thing. And they have to be weaker in some mindset. And to men, our weakness sometimes is what women have and we don't. So I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. Whether the perpetrator is a male or a female, what causes them to get dopamine from treating their partner in a toxic way is that it gives them a sense of power or control over the other person. And that in some way soothes the wound that they had when like soothes the powerless wound from childhood or something like that. Is that? Yes, but more importantly, it actually demonstrates a form of unity that everybody wants. Everybody wants love. I don't I don't care what it is. Everybody wants some type of connection to love. You might have a love of money, a love of crime, a love of of, of beating someone, a love of killing. It, it's, it's an addictive nature. That is a passion. A passion can be defined in very, very, very many, many different facets. In a relationship that becomes toxic, they are attracted to the fact that despite all the junk that they throw at you, you still have to submit and to see if from a woman's aspect, if I can get this guy and make him feel like he's nothing and he's my servant and everything. And yet, even when I want to sleep with him, he can still get erect and give it to me in a matter of he's thinking that he's more powerful than I got this guy. He's an idiot. Now, on the reverse side, if I got this woman and I can go out and I can cheat on her and I can do whatever. And anytime that I take the, the alcohol bottle and and she comes to me and I slam her and she submits to me still. I've got that power on her. I am overbearing in every aspect. She is totally my slave. And it's, it's, there's a lot there, but it's very easy. Everybody's addicted to something that makes them feel good, good or bad. If doing something bad to steal, to get away from taking children, even do it, and they don't even know they're doing it. When they go take a cookie, when you tell them, don't go to the cookie jar, mm-hmm. you find it in the cookie jar and you're yeah. like, I just tell you, don't go get the cookie. And then yeah. I'm, but I know that the outcome of, I might get in trouble if I'm caught. But if I get this cookie, the feeling is going to be a lot better for my taste buds than me getting caught. So is it worth the risk? Absolutely. I'm opening up the jar because he's not around or she's not around. It's almost the same thing. It's they're, they're trying to get it in a bigger term. They're trying to get that cookie out of the cookie jar. And if nobody's seeing, then nobody knows it's that toxic. Why? Because, hey. On the outside world, everything's fine. In the inside, it's toxic. It's havoc. It's their own little soap opera going on. So, and, and most people do that. Most people do that. Most people do the man and female. When they go out to the public, it's a very different scene or movie that you see as opposed to what happens behind closed doors. Well, with children, I mean, their prefrontal cortex isn't developed as much. So they don't have the foresight to think through, okay, if I eat this cookie, there's Fractured trust. There's, you know, I maybe not that's, have to feel that's it. why we call it white lies and it's a little big, you know, because they know that. <laughs> As adults, we should have more developed free prefrontal cortexes, which should be carried over into relationships. So for people with a history of trauma, do they have damaged development in the prefrontal cortex that would make them kind of more impulsive in these toxic behaviors and less able to process through the impact that has on relationships? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all it's all on programming. Again, most of our childhood things that we see that we accept, if we were to take a child, there's a study that that, that we learned and it's kind of but on topic. If you were to take a child, you would teach that child that yellow is actually black and black is actually yellow. And you would tell them that a fruit is actually a piece of meat and meat is a vegetable. And right. you do not expose them to anything else on the planet until they're 19 and you release them to the world. They will argue that everyone else is wrong. And that, that they were taught that yellow is black and black is yellow. It's the same thing when they see this. That's why it's so important. At least for me, I, I'm so thankful to God that I was able to get out 
of that relationship because it's so, so, so critical that you don't allow the children to see such a toxic relationship because you are programming them in the developmental stages, which are critical on what to accept and what to be attracted to. Mm -hmm. And okay. that is something that when it's familiar, again, you may not know it's a red flag because it's familiar when it was never taught to you that it's a red flag. So it doesn't look like a flag at all. Um, it looks like something familiar, which releases the things that make you feel good. Like, wow, this this is this feels familiar. Most people do marry one of their parents, so to speak. You've heard yeah. it. You, yeah. you marry your dad. You marry your mom. It's because that was familiar. That's what they saw. Doesn't mean their mom wasn't toxic. Doesn't mean their father wasn't toxic. So yeah, to go back to what you were saying, you're right. They're not fully developed, but in that developmental stage, what they see and what they're told is very, very indicative of probably what's going to happen in their future life as adults and what they're going to be attracted to to live as an adult. And those are things we have to be careful for as as adults for adults that are married with children and everything else. I would rather teach my children not being in a toxic relationship, what kind of father I can be so they can have a healthy relationship between them and myself than being in a toxic relationship and try to make it say, disregard what's happening. Do as I say, not as I do. That's That's a different relationship. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us and your story and your perspective. Um, I know it'll add a lot of value. Any closing remarks that you'd like to leave people with? Love yourself, find yourself, respect yourself. And if you do the right thing, the right thing will come around. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. And, and for me, the last, last thing, follow God. <laughs> that sounds weird, but, you know, I'm not preaching religion, but if you found God, that's the best example of what you should be like and you will never be that close to perfect so that's a yeah. that's a good target pick. well i think we can all agree on that thank you any social channels that you would like people to follow your work as a couple or individually on honey i would look to you for now one big <laughs> I'm not much on social media, but working on him. <laughs> okay, well, I will drop the the power of the pain, the book that you guys are together, and your website in the notes here. And thank you again for joining me. This was great. I really appreciate you having me. Up. It's it's non comfort zone for me, but I'm glad you got me here. So thank you. You did great. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm on a mission to help protect women from toxic relationships by supporting them and recognizing the signs. I also want to help women heal from toxic relationships by letting them know they are not alone. The stories and conversations I share on this platform and in my book, Losing You, Finding Me, are designed to do just that. I'd love for you to help spread this mission by subscribing to this podcast, leaving a review, and sharing it with a friend. Also consider picking up a copy of Losing You, Finding Me for a deep dive into healing from trauma and toxic relationships. Until next week.